0: Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with two O's. See? How's that?
1: Sci-Fi
2: Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. <laughs> the two, the See, we will begin in mass
0: invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now
2: and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule.
1: It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, concise, as you guilty your witchcraft.
2: You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring you all people.
1: Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye bye, Saturday night. Good
2: afternoon, in case that's when you happen to be listening to this. And welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee it is a gross waste of electrons with no excess carbon emissions. And you get to hear stuff. This week it is episode 495 and it's mask mandate day here. So tonight it is a semi-quarantine day in area 51. Um and it's uh, fun with electrons, fun with friends, fun with electronic friends. Fun stuff. Uh tonight it's me and Captain Cam and we're in uh moving back into quarantine status here in Area 51 because uh, yeah, the uh Delta variant is uh doing what it does. So uh, the walls are back up, the plastic partitions are back in place. Uh, Cam Cap commander cams, hamster cage is back in place and the feeding tubes are back in and the hamster runs are all over area 51. And the uh, Snicker snack bar is in full, full uh, place. And unfortunately, we have shut down the area 51 help desk because. He is absolutely helpless. Commander Cam, how are you
1: doing tonight? I'm doing good, but you still haven't commented on, you know, you did say it's mandatory mask day, You haven't commented on my Sailor Moon mask.
2: <laughs> it looked like a Richard Nixon mask, and I wasn't really going to say anything other
1: than that. Well, um, you know, there's a reason for that. Um, you know, I, I, I thought we were to... going out for a round of Nixon golf today. No, no, no. Is he? Yeah, because he. You know, you won't let me out of the uh, the habitat here, and but it did connect into this old storage bin, and I did the only masks I could find were presidential, uh, you know, face masks, and the closest I could get to Sailor Moon was Nixon. So I just, you know, put some, you know, the, the blonde, you, know, you can see the blonde hair, and you know, the, that's a mop. But you know, it I think it comes pretty close. When when
2: when we all get together uh, next at the uh, Upper Valley Comic Expo. We should we should all do uh, uh, a round of of, uh, Nixon miniature golf. I really think we should. Okay, I'm good with that. So let everybody know that uh, I'm expecting on on the the Sunday after the expo to do a round of Nixon miniature golf.
1: All right. You'll have to explain the rules to me when we get there. So, well, everybody cheats. That's how that works. It's very simple. Everybody cheats. Well then it's no different than regular mini golf, isn't it?
2: Exactly. And then we all resign at the end. So <laughs> it's it's a very simple game of just, golf.
1: I was just going to go get an ice cream, but okay, resign works.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. It's
1: fine. Um so anything else going on? No, nope, that would be it. I am I am as good as good can be. Okay,
2: so Nixon miniature golf coming up soon for everybody. Uh, if anybody else has any rules they'd uh, like to add to our game of uh, mask-induced Nixon miniature golf, please uh, send them to Commander Commander Cam, uh, care of uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night on the website. We will read the funniest emails uh, next week uh, on our on our 496th show. And uh, that will be fun. So Nixon miniature golf rules on our next show. Uh, Anyhow, on to this this week's guest and this week's show. Uh, Ed, I'm guessing you don't have anything you'd like to add about Nixon miniature golf. Uh,
0: No, no, I am not a uh, I'm not a crook. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So I don't play Nixon miniature golf.
2: You're welcome. You're welcome to play any time with us. Uh, so
0: besides, I'm in and, Canada, so you know I'd have to be okay. like a, some some uh, crooked prime minister. We'd have to use for the.
2: <laughs> but that's okay because you can you can always use the Quaker rules at any time. It works. Trust me on this one. Our guest tonight, <laughs> our returning guest, is Ed Willett. Ed, welcome back to Sci-Fi Saturday Night.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having me back.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you say that now, but you didn't know you were going to be playing. Uh, Nixon Miniature Golf. Anyhow, we're here to talk about uh, his latest book, which just got released. And uh, an interesting book it is. Uh, It's his latest young adult novel, and it's called Starsong. So what can you tell us about Starsong? Having just finished the book this afternoon, it is reminiscent of a number of books from the past, and yet very different from those books. But it is the story of uh, a young adult in the future who uh, has lost his family, is orphaned on a world he has no real knowledge of, and uh, has uh, a musical instrument that he knows nothing about, and is the only link to his past and his family
0: yeah star song grew out as and the reason it, it's similar to past books is because it was something that grew out of a short story i wrote a long time ago um one of my first published short stories way back in the 19th ah. it was published in a uh a teen magazine here in canada called jam long since uh i don't know what that stood for but long since uh defunct and uh, even at the time i thought would make a, a novel but one reason it is reminiscent of older books is because it was not long after I was very much immersed in you know Robert A. Heinlein and Andre Norton are the two I would probably say were the heaviest influence on on this particular book so it is a book very much in that kind of Heinlein juvenile Andre Norton spacefaring uh, kind of a story and even at the time I tried to turn it into a into a novel it was the first novel that I wrote and tried to get professionally published in the mid-1980s. And one reason I'm very happy to have put it out is because it was also very, very close to being my first published novel. Josepha Sherman was editing at uh, Walker & Company, which was a a mid-sized, you know, major publisher. And uh, I had sent it to her, and she sent it back and said, well, you know, there's this big time skip in the middle, and it needs you need to fill that in. And if you do, I'll take another look. So I filled it in, I sent it back to her, She got back to me and she said, uh, well, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. I was ready to make an offer. The publisher died. And his son took over. (laughs) The son took over. And one of the first things he decided was they weren't going to publish science fiction (laughs) anymore. And so that book came very close to being published about, I don't know, 1990, something like that. (laughs) And it never found a home. And uh, so I went back and looked at it recently. And I thought, well, it needs work. Um, you know, I'm 30 years further along in my writing experience now. And for one thing, it was originally only in the boys' viewpoint. And I said, no, we got to have the girls' viewpoint in there too. So I rewrote the whole thing. And uh, now, of course, there are many new options for, for getting things published. And because I do have uh, Shadowpop Press, which publishes uh, uh, books of mine and will also publish books by other people going forward, but I have my own publishing company. So As long as I didn't die, there's a good chance I could get it published. (laughs) (laughs) And I survived, so it's clearly not a curse on the book itself. (laughs) And so that's why I'm very, very happy to to have it out. And it is about a young man in the future, and he's trying to find his his, uh, past. And this supposed musical instrument turns out to be an an alien artifact, which has uh, more powers than he realizes. And he's being pursued by some very rich and powerful men. Uh, who will stop at nothing to get it, so that's kind of the uh the premise and it, it is very much in the heinlein andre norton kind of mode
2: and it's very much in the in the heinlein uh, young adult, not really young adult books in in that what was considered young adult at the time Heinlein was putting them out were very sophisticated uh uh, books later on, uh, perceived as sophisticated later on and had some very, uh, brilliant and, and, uh, wonderful storylines and, uh, and plots to them as does this. So one of the things that, uh, as, as you were talking came came to my mind was, and and you kind of touched on a little bit was in 30 years, what kind of a rewrite did you put to it?
0: Well, the main thing was the um, introduction of Tavera. She's the girl from this gypsy-like fa- space-faring family, they're called. Um, in the original book, she was. it was all in Chris's, that's the boys, Chris's viewpoint. And yet she is very much a main character. And I realized that she has a very interesting story, too, because she's going against her family's wishes, really, and... and uh, Hooking up—that's the wrong word. <laughs> getting together with with uh, Chris and helping him, and uh, so I realized there was a very interesting story on her side too. And that if I I gave her her own viewpoint scenes, the story would be richer for it. So that was kind of the the biggest thing. And then there, of course there were language things, and uh, uh, I rewrote the opening because the opening the original opening was a little too abrupt. It was like plunged you in a little too far along, and you didn't have any feel for. where he had come from so there are things like that that i've just learned over the years i feel to tell a better story perhaps than i was able to tell 30 years ago
2: it uh it was it was an interesting read from my point of view for three reasons the first reason was although it was reminiscent of a number of other stories it never really went there it stayed true to its own story and number two it it took me to places that were rather unexpected for me uh, number uh, and and one of them was the one that you just pointed out, which was the musical instrument that wasn't a musical instrument that they kept insisting was a musical instrument uh, and then as the book went on, and I'm trying real hard not to be a spoiler here. <laughs> the, the the musical instrument that you left MacGuffins for the entire book that wasn't a musical instrument to show people wasn't a musical instrument um were wonderful and uh there were a couple of of, of uh moments inside the uh inside the inn of uh, Inside Andrew's Inn, uh, which were very tellingly uh, giving you hints about what it did and how it worked, that uh, were were quite interesting. And if you've read it the right way, could lead you to places other than that. Uh, so where we, and, for me, it's hard to say, where were you going with this? Because the actual concept of this was 35 years ago.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Well, in fact, I know. And in fact, in my short story collection, Paths to the Stars, the original short story is the first short story in that collection, which is also from Shadowpaw Press. I put it was like the first book I put out. Um, it all goes back to this image of someone in a fairly primitive city standing on one side of a fence looking at starships gleaming in the starlight and looking up at the stars and thinking I want to be on one of those starships which you know is a pretty good metaphor for me as a science fiction reader I think (laughs) growing up Uh, you know that was me right I was that kid in uh, uh, in the prairies and I wanted to go to the stars and the only way I could get there was through books and uh, so that that image is really and it's kind of the image that's on the the cover actually yeah uh, by by calgary artist dan o'driscoll um so that that was the impetus for it now where did the musical instrument come from that's not really a musical instrument yeah um i have no idea (laughs)
2: well that's helpful (laughs) I musical, you know i
0: sing and i played various instruments and so music was something that was important to me and i wanted to put it into the book and I've done that in a couple other books where there's music will crop up in some fashion uh but I I don't I don't know (laughs) at this point in time why I went in that direction
2: so it's kind of interesting that uh you know I can't really talk we can't really talk about where this story came from where these where these characters came from because they're in many cases thirty years old. Yeah, it is it
0: is interesting to go back to your uh to something that, that you conceived of so long ago because in many ways it was like it was like editing somebody else's work
2: to a certain extent. I mean I knew so, the story. Right. So was... that's the real question. I mean the real question is um digging through your archives and going well, this deserves another look now, doesn't it and I've,
0: I've never given up on this one i've I've tried it in various places over the years, so it's always been there in the back of my mind, and I finally realized I could do it myself and
2: so I did but what made what what was it about you about this work where you went oh here's what it needs, and then going at it with bringing uh Vera in as the secondary character bringing her as a second voice uh working the two together and and making that how making that how the the, the characters advance the storyline what made that the sell for you um
0: well, over the years, as I've written other YA, I've tended to do. <clears throat> excuse me, I've I've tended to do that. Um, my other, I have another YA series called uh, *The Shards of Excalibur*, which is a five-book series, modern-day um, fantasy with Arthurian elements, as you can guess from the title, mm-hmm. and it's told that way with alternating boy-girl viewpoints. And I just, I like that. I do tend to write a lot of female characters. Um, And I guess I do them okay. I haven't been told I don't, but maybe people are just being nice. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And it just I don't know. It just opens it up so you're not trapped in one person's head. And because so much of this story, a lot of the story takes place inside the family, this gypsy like Mm -hmm. family with only Chris's viewpoint, you were only seeing an external view of that. And by adding to Vera, it opened up a whole other side of the world that I had created. And I was able to explore the relationships within the family uh, to a greater degree than I could just having the outsider's viewpoint. So I think that's what it was. It was me, an opportunity to open up my world building a
1: bit. The book got much longer, as you can imagine, <laughs> as well. So.
2: Well, yeah, but you think, had a second voice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And I think that really helped because you it allowed you to build out this people where it would be interesting. I would love to grab hold of a copy of it before you added Tavera and read it because i think I think I would really agree with the fact that Tavera gives us this it she creates she allows us to see the family you know as something more than just you know this this group of people is going to take Chris to the stars, and it gives it such depth and I just I love the addition. So I think it was just it was absolutely fantastic. I love the fact that once she was introduced, she went right back and forth, back and forth between the two characters, sometimes even seeing the same same scene or the same thing from their two different uh, viewpoints, I think really worked very well and just flowed seamlessly. So.
0: Yeah, I'd like to do that a little bit. Um, I have been accused of doing it too much by people who would prefer not to see the scene from two different viewpoints but i find that interesting both as a writer and as a reader i, I enjoy mm-hmm. seeing the same scene from two different viewpoints
1: and i would intend to agree with you that's, that's something i do appreciate is you know especially when chris and tavera do have completely different you know upbringings completely different societies that they've been they've grown up in and one of the other things that I loved about this is that it wasn't just the families. You also had, shoot, I just had the name of them there and there's the other shipping group, the uh, union, I think yeah. is that, that correct. Yeah. And so you've created these two groups, you know, the families, which do their, their, are sort of this gypsy life, living in these ships, you know, traveling across the stars. And then you have the unions, which are almost your, uh, your merchant, traveling from place to place also kind of doing the same thing the family does, but they're very, you know, well, we actually don't, and this is something interesting is we don't really get to know the unions that well, other than the fact that they they are fairly feared by even some of the antagonists in your story. And so they make such an interesting character and well, but then your antagonists also feared the families as well. So it's like these are such interesting forces that are controlling this galaxy that you you created. But I guess where I'm going with this is why did you bring the union in there as well? I mean you already had the families that was traveling the universe doing all of this. Was there a special reason, you know, you wanted to bring the union in or
0: uh, it just seemed to me that for that kind of society to work, the family would not be sufficient to do the kind of trade you would have to do among scattered worlds. So the unions the unions. I mean, it's yeah, they're the merchant ships, and they just have literally a very strong union, and you have to be part of the union in order to work on one of their ships. Right. And there's a lot of patronage and everything else in that setup, uh, but they're really in the background. Uh, they really just exist to uh, flesh out the world. And you know, I could write an entirely different book set in the same universe that would bring the unions in uh, but the other the other thing that I liked was the fact that there's a monopoly on space travel it's either you're working within the union framework or for s- sort of the smaller um, more boutique trading experience you're working with the the family um, but there's no other way to get get around the universe or get things around the universe you have to you have to uh, And if you want to, if you actually want to go into space as a crewman, it has to be in one of those two groups. Uh, So I was just trying to constrain the possibilities for Chris in order to raise the stakes for him.
2: Okay. Which leads me to a rather interesting question. Is that you leave the reader at the end of the book hung? You have an ending that's rather incomplete because at a cursory level, yeah, you wrap it all up in a very nice little bow, but you don't. Well, I think, and the reason
0: I don't is because these these are kids. <laughs> they're, you know, they're late teens. Um and who knows where their lives are going to go from here? This is the end of one chapter, but there are many possibilities going forward. I mean, Chris, not to give too much away, but financially he's more secure than he ever realized he was, and um you know, now he's got access to the stars so yeah i I don't actually know what happens next. I'd have to write another book to find out
2: <laughs> and therein lies my question about. These two characters, because they are very well fleshed out characters, they are very interesting characters, and Chris and Tavera have become very important characters. Both, actually, Chris Tavera and Andrew, because I don't want to let any of them alone, and also I want to add into that John and Memory, because the history of John and memory, there's an awful lot of stuff that needs to be explored about them because we just took a very basic look at one small part of what it is that they did. There's an awful lot of stuff going on there. There's an awful lot of meat that you left hanging on the bone. (laughs) Just saying. Well...
0: (laughs) That's what makes hopefully makes the the world feel fully fleshed because of that meat <laughs> to carry on the metaphor um and yet at the same time, you know that's just part of the all that stuff is there, and yeah, there's always there's always more you could do with anything. I've never written a story yet that I couldn't write a sequel or a prequel or or something else to. I know for a fact, because I had written a book called Right to Know, and the editor at Bundoran Press who published it said, uh, would you like to write a sequel? And I thought it was a standalone, but I said, sure. And it was easy enough to pull out some threads and and carry on uh, within that same world uh, in a sequel. So I could totally flesh it out further, uh, but I could do that with all 20-some novels that I've written,
1: (laughs) and there's only so much time and sometimes it's nice because you know in in when you're writing just like in real life not all the questions get answered you know not not all not all the meat gets stripped by the from the bone by flesh eating beetles to take the analogy in a completely <laughs> weird direction yeah, thanks but for nothing. It, it, okay. <laughs> you are so welcome. This is why you keep me around, chief. But yeah, no, I, I kind of sometimes I kind of like that when a story doesn't answer all of the questions. It answers, you know, the characters end up, you know, in a nice little bow. But there's still some, but there's still some, you know, hanging questions that, you know, sometimes it's just you never do get all the answers you you absolutely want in life. And so in a way I, kind of did like that. So
0: just saying. I think, uh, well, I mean, it goes back to the pantser and plotter question that people get as well. Um, I make up an awful lot of, I I mean, I have a a pretty good idea of my world before I start writing, but I make up an awful lot of it as I write. And sometimes it can just be in the moment, in the heat of writing a scene, you need something to, you know, show that there's more world out there than you've, you've got on stage and you throw away something. The union wasn't quite throw away, but it was pretty darn close, the, the whole idea of the union. Um, and so you you put that in there and it gives this sense of this vast um, world. But in reality, there may have been nothing more to it than I got to that point in the story and I found a nice phrase that I put in there and it expressed you know some half-baked idea of what might be out elsewhere in the universe, <clears throat> but I don't actually know. Unless I sit down and do all the work of developing it further. So it's all illusion, really. It's smoke and mirrors.
2: <laughs>
1: oh well, yeah. Of course and, it is. And, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. one of the and that's one of the things I think I liked about, you know, with your addition of the union there is it it gives the window dressing that there's more to the universe than just what we're going to be dealing with. It's like, look over here, there's a planet you know, look over here, there's something going on. We're not going to completely deal with it, but we've, we're going to hang it on the wall. And, you know, it's going to be there so that, you know, you get the feeling there's something larger, that it gives that illusion that this universe is a universe. It is vast and expansive. And that's kind of why I like that they were there. There still was a part of me. And, 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 and kind of the part of me that says, I want to know more about that union speaks to what you did there by by with just a piece of window dressing. It makes me want to go, okay, but what about these guys? What do they do? And and you're right, it is a window dressing to make the universe seem larger, but it just is this fantastic window dressing that kind of makes this whole everything else feel so much real that I'm looking in all different directions, going, okay, now what's over here? And I want to wander off, oh yes. Uh, Ed, Ed said I had to go this way. Okay, I'll follow these <laughs> characters. But what about over there? So yeah, I I like those kind of things. It 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 interests me. So and I I, and I really did like that addition
0: I always think it because I'm a stage actor and I've done a lot of theater. I I often think of it in terms of a stage set where, you know, you have a window in the back and there's a painted background behind it and it's only partially lit, but you know, because it's nighttime out there, but you see like a castle off in the distance with a winding path leading to it. And uh, you never, you know, you sometimes you'll look up, especially if the play's boring, you'll look at the backdrop and think, well, I'd really like to see what's back there. But of course, there's nothing back there except except something that was hung to to flesh out the action that's going on on the stage. So it's it's very much similar to that in my mind.
2: See, but I want to know things like, <clears throat> While Chris was getting the information about the 10 planets, he was also handed a package of information all about his parents. I want to know more about John and memory Lamarck. I want to know more about Andrew. Yeah. He has an interesting backstory. I think. Sure. He does. Yeah, that's definitely sure. He does. Absolutely. He does. I want to learn more about that. The curse of a good writer is that you've put together such a wonderful backstory in putting together this this world that people want to know about it. Mm-hmm. and I think in in letting this story percolate in your own mind for thirty years you you may you may have cursed yourself here mm-hmm. because I think as people read this as as people read this story. You're going to want to know more than you've got here because I know that's where I'm at. And, uh, I'm going to be picking at you. <laughs> <on this laughs> one. I'm warning you now you're going to start getting emails from me.
0: <laughs> well, so, so there's that. Anything's possible when it comes to the next thing I write.
2: So. Speaking of the next thing you write, uh, you, you just had a Kickstarter, uh, couple of months back yeah. called shapers of worlds volume two uh that uh, just got funded can we talk about that for a little bit yeah i have a podcast
0: uh you may have heard of those podcasts uh,
2: odd thing about that isn't it <laughs> yeah
0: uh mine only has uh coming up my 90th episode so you're, you're a bit ahead of oh,
2: you're a piker oh <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> but
0: i interview other science fiction and fantasy authors about their creative process uh, out every couple of weeks and they're hour-long interviews and in my first you know i i have met quite a few authors now at conventions and things and i know them through publishers and now i'm even getting publicists reaching out to me so um back in april of 2018 i guess it was i was at the annual meeting of sask books which is the publishers association here in saskatchewan on whose board i now serve and they had brought in somebody to talk about kickstarting And she had kickstarted an anthology successfully. In fact, she got $100,000 for this thing, which astonishes me. But she had connections to the comics side of things. And I know they're really big on Kickstarters. Um, And I thought, hey, I know some authors. So why don't I try that? And it took me a while because there's a learning curve when it comes to doing a Kickstarter. Boy, is there. (laughs) And I had to climb that. And I put it off for a while. But I I reached out to my first-year guest because I had to cut it off in some fashion. And I had people like, uh, oh, Seanan McGuire and Tanya Huff and David Weber and Ellie Modisett Jr. and Christopher Rocchio. And uh, that was among the, and, you know, John Scalzi was in there, David Brinjoe Haldeman. All these people said, sure, they'd either write a new story or um, contribute a reprint. So I ended up with nine original stories, nine reprints. It kickstarted successfully, came out last fall, Shapers of Worlds. And I thought, well, that worked. Let's do it again. (laughs) So I asked my second year guests. Uh, and they ran another Kickstarter And it also funded So I I have all the stories in now Well except for this one by a guy named Edward Willett Who's really sluggish about finishing his Oh Every, man
2: I hate that guy
0: Yeah he's a, but Everybody else has gotten theirs in And uh, editing them now And it's uh, got 24 stories in it 18 of them are new and only 6 reprints So there's new stories from Kelly Armstrong, Marie Brennan, Helen Dale Candace Jane Dorsey, Lisa Foyles Susan Forrest, James Allen Gardner Matthew Hughes Heli Kennedy, Lisa Kester, Adria Laycraft, Iron Amen, Garth Nix, Tim Pratt, Edward Savio, Brian Thomas Schmidt, and Jeremy Saul. And then there's uh, reprints from Jeffrey A. Carver, Barb Hambly, Nancy Cress, David D. Levine, S.M. Sterling, and Carrie Vaughn. So that's not a bad list of names. And no. uh, it's going to be, I think, about 120,000 words of fiction, um, which will be out in a couple of months, you know, depending on how quickly I get it done. I haven't set a publication date yet. I'm thinking October to be safe. It might be as early as late September, but I think it'll be in October. And that'll go out through Shadowpot Press, my little publishing company that also published Shapers of Worlds in which uh, published Star Song as well.
2: Wow. Well, it's it's a shame you're not busy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've also been trying to finish my next novel for Daw Books, which is called The Tangled Stars. and I just finished the first revision pass today. I'll do another higher level pass and then it'll be submitted. It's a little behind when it was supposed to be submitted, but it's not coming out till next year. So I think I'm okay. So yeah, I've been doing that too. So I I do have one or two things I'm working on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a shame, you know, that uh, you couldn't be more busy. I get it, I get it.
0: I just sit around the house, stare out the window.
2: It must be difficult. So, I was just going
0: to say, we watched the restored version of My Fair Lady on Netflix the other night. There's a song in there uh, that I always think of when I'm editing. And it's the one that Liza sings, which is words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. (laughs) (laughs) There are times when I feel that way.
2: Yeah, the pandemic has been difficult because it's difficult to to tear yourself away from Netflix, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Well, we've watched stuff I never probably would have bothered watching in other years. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, it's been. uh, So (laughs) other than that, how's the pandemic been treating you guys up there? Uh, It has not been.
0: Well, uh, of course, I work at home anyway, so that wasn't a change. My wife was working at home, but uh, we managed (laughs) sharing the, the house at the same time, both trying to work. Uh, and up here, our uh, restrictions have been lifted and, uh, uh, things are more or less normal-ish in Saskatchewan, uh, at the moment. So, uh, that's good. Um, I was writer in residence at the Saskatoon Public Library at the time, uh, everything hit and I did my last two and a half months. I had been driving up there. It's a two and a half hour drive. I'd, I drove up there once a week, stayed over one night and came back and had my office hours up there and, uh. So I lost my last two and a half months up there. Did it all virtually. So I spent a lot of time on the phone and on Skype and on FaceTime talking to authors, and instead of uh, having them sit in my office talking to me, but that worked out okay. Um, I think the main thing I noticed was I couldn't go out to coffee shops and pubs to write, and I really like doing that. So <laughs> I think it affected my my productivity sitting at home trying to write as opposed to getting out of the house.
2: Yeah, I hear you. It's been. Uh... Every, every time I turn around and think that things are going to get better, I I get foolishly told no. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting and it's going to get more and more interesting. But uh, doing the best we can and Cam stays locked up in the hamster cage. So we're never really sure how things are going to happen around here. So what's uh, you say you've got a new book uh, in the editing uh, phase right now?
0: Yeah, it's a humorous space opera uh, called The Tangled Stars. I'm working on that right now. It has, among other things, a sarcastic, genetically modified AI uplifted cat who becomes captain of the starship at one point. So that's the level of, <laughs> of humorous science fiction we're talking about. Um, and I just want to have a cat on the cover because I figured that'll help sell books.
2: Always does. Uh,
0: so that's that's <laughs> my next one for DAW. Um My previous series for DAW, which was called The World Shapers, and we may have talked about the last time I was on Yes,
2: you in fact did. Uh,
0: It had had three books. They don't want a fourth, uh, but I'm going to write the fourth, and that will be the next thing I do after I finish uh, The Tangled Stars. I'll be writing book four. It's all plotted out. Um, There is some body out Hollywood way that is shopping that around and is quite keen on it. We'll see if anything comes of that. I'm not holding my breath, but it would certainly be nice. They don't have to make it. Just send me a lot of money. I'll take
2: that. You know, that's the best part about Hollywood. (laughs) They don't have to make it. All they need to do is throw money at it.
0: Yeah, I'd be perfectly happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to write the fourth book in that. And I I, and there has to be at least one more to wrap up that story. So at some point, I do want to wrap up that series or carry it on indefinitely, depending on, you know. Which is the
2: nice thing about owning your own publishing company is that when the, the other publisher doesn't want to, you can do it yourself.
0: Well, I mentioned killing a publisher with a <laughs> star song, literally in that case, but I'm, I've had a number of small publishers who died or went under right after they published me. And so I'm really hoping DAW hangs in there.
2: <laughs> no, you don't really want to do that more than once or twice.
0: Uh, it, it, uh, one called Rusan published one called Andy nebula Interstellar Rockstar, an early YA of mine, uh, and then promptly went under. Oh and, no! <laughs> um, well it had nothing to do with my book but still uh my charge of excalibur series was started by one publisher who deservedly went under in that case <laughs> they were they were you know not paying authors and stuff like that oh no and then uh the right to know book that i mentioned where i wrote the sequel um uh, bundor and press they they didn't they closed down properly so i don't think you can attribute that one to me nevertheless that's another publisher gone <laughs> and there was a little publisher called rebel light in winnipeg that published a book of mine called flames of neviana and they went away so i republished that one recently as blue fire under my pseudonym ec blake that's also through shadow Paw press so i don't know that's about a half a dozen publishers that published me and then disappeared forever
2: <laughs> that you <laughs> so, may not have been responsible for
1: so uh, important note to all you publishers out there <laughs> fear this man
0: <laughs> that's right if you if you do write by me you will thrive but do me wrong <laughs> there's actually a story there but
2: <laughs> it sounds like one it sounds like a good book to write
0: it sounds like something stephen king might might write
2: and it's yeah yeah definitely bumped off by an author <laughs> Well, Ed, as usual, it's 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 wonderful to to talk to you. It's it's more than interesting, and I didn't know the pedigree of of this book, and it it sure uh, was unexpected from my point of view. Uh, the book is Star Song. It's an unexpected pedigree. It's an unexpected story. It's an unexpected book. It's a it's a fun read it's a light read it's it's an interesting read uh, from from an interesting guy and, and gosh it's fun to talk to you it's fun to have you on the show please come back whenever you'd like uh, our guest tonight has been uh, Edward Willett the book is Star Song and please come back often I would love to thanks for being on the show tonight man thank you Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, Just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watt sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to JoJo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody.
1: There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night everybody! Yes.